0: This morning I'd ask you to join me in Romans chapter number 6, as we're working our way through this book. One chapter at a time, one week for each chapter. We're in for a huge challenge today, because not only does chapter 6 say an awful lot in a handful of, of verses, but it is one that I think we really, really, really must pay attention to. I would say that of chapter 5 too, chapter 4 and such, but I'm just trying to prepare your hearts for what's before us here today. This uh, chapter, I'm going to give you the title I gave to it so you understand where we're going. We are united with Christ. We should not continue to sin we should not continue to sin we are united with Christ this uh, section here I like to call it the other side of the cross as we dive into these I will explain that uh, as we go but uh, the foundations we have studied to this point have led us to this day in this chapter. For we have found the fundamental truths that salvation is only accomplished by the power of God. Chapter number 1. We saw that particularly in verse 16. We have seen in chapter 2 that salvation cannot be bargained for. God does not show partiality. Chapter 2 verse 11. We found in chapter 3 that the depth of our sin makes it impossible for us. To earn our salvation. Chapter 3 verse 28 mentions that. Chapter 4 says that we must have faith. And it must be faith alone. And it's faith first that justifies the ungodly. Chapter 4 verse 5. We found last week in chapter 5 verse 15. Salvation is the gift of God. And these are essential things for us to know. And now we're here on chapter number 6. We are united with Christ. Therefore, we should not continue to sin. Let's uh, follow through with this. I'm going to read the chapter. There's 23 verses. Then we'll have a word of prayer. What, what, what shall we say to then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to that one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching ...to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification... And when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were, were you then deriving from the things which now you are, you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Heavenly Father, we have this section in front of us here today and it is it is very important that we understand what you are telling us. So, we come to you receptive of what you will teach to us. Our ears are open. Our hearts are open. We'd like you to teach us and, and work in our lives that we might be different because we spent this time with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who like to... Uh, Make notes, jot down, need a picture, just doodle while I talk. Uh, I've got a picture for you that might come in handy for what you're about to see in chapter number six. I like to think of this as the outline of the book of Romans. If you want a a simple picture that will outline the whole and especially highlight what we're doing today, you just make a simple timeline. You know a timeline, don't you? If not, there's a lot of schools open now that would teach you. Alright, straight line all the way across, maybe arrows on the end, however you like to put it. It's a timeline. Right in the middle of the timeline, draw a cross. Alright, that's not very difficult yet, is it? You just draw a cross. Let's, let's use that to represent your salvation. Alright, that's where you came to know Christ. What he's done for you at the cross. Underneath that cross, write chapter 5. That's where we were last week. That's what he has done for us. God demonstrated his own love toward us, even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we mark that. That's our, our right down the center of the page. Now, on the left side and the right side, you should still have space. You didn't make such a huge cross, there's no more room, right? Okay, on the left side, before the cross, draw a tombstone. Make it simple, however you want it to look. Uh, A a tombstone there on the left side, and write the words unsaved on it. Unsaved. We were dead in sin. Scripture tells us that. But underneath that picture, write chapters 1 through 4. That's what he's emphasized all the way through there. The fact that we were unsaved and dead in our sins. Chapters 1 through 4. Aren't you glad for chapter 5? Okay, let's go on the other side now. On the other side, you don't need a tombstone over there. Just write these words, or one word. Alive. It's on the other side. It's the word alive. And just below that, chapters 6 through 16 you will notice the bulk of the teaching of the book of Romans is on that side. It's on that side. That's the side we're on. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that's your side. That we are addressing here in these many chapters before us. Now, on the left side, where you saw that phrase uh, with the tombstone, and you saw the words uh, uh, unsaved, dead in sin, Our biggest problem was sin, right? Now on the the right side, guess what our biggest frustration is? Sin. On this side too? Boy, this gives you a perspective. If it's any comfort to you to know this, so that you know you're not weird. You're not the only one on earth with this problem we call sin. Sin. I don't know any believer in Christ who isn't frustrated with the issue of sin. It would be nice if we could alter our timeline this way. We have our left side, of course, to show that we're unsaved and dead in sin. We have the cross at the center, which speaks of the time we came to know Christ as our Savior. We became Christians. And then on the right side, wouldn't it be great if all of a sudden the arrow just pointed straight to heaven? And off we went. That would be great. But that's not reality. That's not where we are. Because the Bible teaches us that though we will eventually be with Christ forever and ever in heaven with Him, we still live a life down here. And that's where we are finding chapter 6 through chapter 16. Sin will continue to be an issue in our Christian life. It will still continue to be an issue until that great day when we leave this earth and we go to be with the Lord. And I don't even know what that's going to be like, folks, to no longer even have the presence of sin around. We're not going to know what to do with ourselves for maybe the first two or three seconds. (laughs) But what an incredible thing to be free from the presence of sin as well. See, Christians ought to be concerned about the issue of sin. They ought to be. Christians ought to be. And I think the Christian who is growing in their faith comes to realize the issue of sin more... I don't know what the right word is here. The closer you get to Christ, the more you start to realize how sinful you are. There are some, and I'm afraid to say this, but there could be some even among us today, who are very careless about sin. They, they go about as if it really doesn't matter, after all, you know, I, I'm saved, and what, what difference does it make? They're the ones that Paul addresses several times in here. Should we continue in sin, that grace may abound. <laughs> and they act, act, ask careless questions, and they live careless lives. As if it's not an issue, as if it's not important. Uh, they, they don't give much attention to it. They, they, they go to church on Sunday, of course, because they feel obligated to do that, but their Monday, their Tuesday, their Wednesday, their Thursday, their Friday, their Saturday, if they wanted to describe those days in light of sin, what would it look like? What are the activities of a week? What are the attentions of the mind? what are the things that we invest in that we say, well, they're just little things. I mean, after all, I'm not a murderer. You know, I haven't robbed a bank. You know, we we can easily compare ourselves to other human beings and consider ourselves to be, oh, at least less sinful than the next guy. But when do we start to take it seriously? Jesus Christ died for sin. Is that serious? That's serious. So let's talk this through today, because this is important. How do we who are saved find a solution for the frustration of sin? These next three chapters, 6, 7, and 8, I think diagrams very wonderfully for us how we are to live as believers. Chapter 6, I'm going to call it our theological perspective on sin. Chapter 7 is our practical perspective on sin. Deals a lot with the duty of the Christian life. Chapter 8 is the undergirding perspective, which is a beautiful chapter. I just can't wait to get to it. It speaks of the Lord in our lives and the Holy Spirit in our lives and the wonderful security we have of believers. These are transforming chapters. If you're one who struggles with the Christian life, I want you to give this very careful attention today. Our key verse is verse number 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with Him. If we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with Him. I believe the whole chapter kind of wraps itself around that verse, so let's look at it very carefully. The first word that kind of pops up on our text in front of us is the word if. It's a good word for us to consider as we start this. If I am a Christian, we assume things now, don't we? If I am a Christian, I, I will someday go to heaven. It's a very simple statement. We believe that Christians, when they die, they go to heaven, don't we? Scripture tells us so. You could ask that to even the, one of the smallest kids in the Sunday school and ask them, What happens when a Christian dies? And they're like, Well, they go to heaven. We, we've got that simple if concept understood. But, as we have the word if in the English, do you not know that that little if that we say there opens up a question? If we have died, what's our question? Have we? Have we? That's the question that it, it tends to raise. Uh, some people will say, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> yes. There are those out there who, who, who will say, I hope so. You know, when they say, if you die, will you go to?" I hope so. You, you know, I was brought up that way. I've told you that before. Some of you are, are new to our fellowship here today. I was brought up in a way that we were never sure if we were saved. We did not know that. Matter of fact, we were taught contrary to that. And so every week there were invitations just to be sure. We we would go up there and we would receive the Lord again. And and if somebody might ask us, uh, uh, are you going to heaven? And you say, well, I hope so. I've been saved 14 times this month. That's the kind of perspective we had. It was a big if. A big if. I don't like living by ifs like this. I don't want my whole eternity based on an if. Do you? No, I don't. That's sad. And unfortunately, some people never grow beyond that. So if that's where you're struggling today, I'm going to change a word, a solid word, to give it to you. It speaks of this marvelous salvation that the Lord has given to you. You see that little word if? I'm a Greek teacher, okay? So you can trust me a little bit in this. The word in the Greek is not if. It's since. There's a big difference between those two words. We're not looking at if we have died with Christ. We're saying since we have died with Christ. Now, all of a sudden something starts to sound different, doesn't it? Since we have died with... We're speaking of certainty here... We're not uh, looking at a potential. We're not looking at a maybe or a hope so. We're saying, yes, I have sense. All right? I want you to know that word is, is what should represent this phrase here. If keeps us wondering. Sense is an anchor. And that's the word I start with. It's a word that we must see. It gives us a whole new perspective here. Since we have died with Christ, and and I trust that's right where you are now, right now. You have died with Christ. That means you've come to know Him as your Savior. It says, we believe we shall also live with Him. This is crucial. We have to start from the assurance of our salvation. Start from that assurance. We're on the right side of that cross. In your diagram here. We we are sure that we're saved by faith in Christ alone. He paid the penalty for our sin on that cross. We have the promise of eternal life because that's what he said. Whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. Do we believe that? Yes. So like I like the sense, don't you? It's a strong word. It's a necessary word. But notice what it now teaches us in verse six or chapter six, verse eight. Now, since we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Now, that speaks of a relationship. That speaks of a response and a result. All three of these are what we're going to highlight in the next few minutes. First, let's talk about our relationship. It says, we have died with Christ. Theologically, that's absolutely accurate. We have died with Christ. The first five verses of this text talked about being united with Him. It says in verse uh, 2, How shall we who died to sin, sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death as though Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so we too might walk in newness of life for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death certainly we shall also be that's united in the likeness of his resurrection that's a key word in this concept being united with him now what Paul had just said in that phrase are three things Jesus did for us he died is that a fact? Yes. He died. He was buried. Verse number four said that. Is that true? Yes. And then he rose from the dead. Verse four says that too. Is that true? Okay. Those are the facts that we know of Christ and what he's done for us. You know that. He died, was buried, and rose again. Was it for himself that he died? No. It was for us. For the penalty of our sin. So you can say, he took our place, right? He took our place. That was the price that we owed. The wages of sin is death. We owed that, because we sinned. He took our place. He took our place. Now, that expresses relationship. Although, in many regards, if we put it in in, uh, common words, We would say, you know, a lot of people have taken our place over time in this or that or whatever. They've taken our place when we retired, perhaps, from our jobs. They've taken our place when we were sick and they filled in for us. They've taken our place in this and that. And we've never really known them, perhaps. We didn't have a relationship with them. They just filled our spot. That's not at all the picture we have here when we speak of Christ and being united with Him. Here's the picture. Most of us are very familiar in 1 Samuel 17 with the story of David and Goliath, right? The battle that took place there. Um, Part of the understanding of what took place there is in the challenge that Goliath made on that day. What he told Israel and Israel's king Saul was simply this. You pick a champion from your army, and I'll be the champion for my army. And we too will fight, just as champions. If I win, my whole army wins. If I lose, my whole army loses. That one man was representing his whole army. And when you think that through, If he won, his whole army enjoyed the victory. If he lost, his whole army lost. They were united with him in this. United with him. Their whole life rested in his hands. How would you have liked to have been in the army? You certainly would not have wanted to have been in the Philistine army that day. Because he lost. But would you want to be part of a group where only one person represents you and his life is yours and his death is yours and what he did, you were completely dependent upon for life or death. That's incredible, isn't it? That is the picture of Romans chapter 6. When it says we're united with Christ, It is either all or nothing. There is no second option for us. His life is our life. That means his death was our death. This is what he's trying to explain to us. In the same picture, we do this when we have our our baptism service. Right back here is a baptism tank. And what we do is we, we immerse those who are baptized in the water. We don't just kind of put them in the water. We put them under the water. You're just not kind of baptized. Nor are you kind of saved. You are or you're not. You're in or you're not. You're, it's complete or it is nothing. You see? That's being united with Christ. We are either united with Him or we're not. Okay? Okay? Just so you understand these principles as we go along here. Because he uses the word baptized. You saw it in the text as I read it. We've been baptized in Christ. That means we're either in him or not. When he died, we're united with him in his death. You see, you didn't have to be crucified yourself. He is your champion. And he is your representative. And when he died, you died. When he was buried, guess what? You were buried. That's what it says in verse number 4. And don't stop there. Because when he rose again, guess what? You also, in him, rose again. Now, I hope that's not too, too, too big a concept to grasp. I've been trying to explain it in the simplest terms I could think of. In him, all these things become reality for us. He died, He was buried, He rose again, so that in our relationship with Him, as we're united with Him, we have also died, was buried, and resurrected. I I know it sounds very strange, but here's the point. If we're on this side of the cross with Him, we don't belong on the other side anymore. Do you see? We don't belong on that other side anymore. If that cross has changed us, we're living on this side because we're united with Him. See, Paul can argue this whole point uh, throughout his, his epistles all over the place. The simple thing is we have a relationship with Christ. We have to understand that. We've been united with Him. And because that is true, then our response should reflect that relationship. Our response should Verse number 8. Now, since we have died with him, we believe. Oh, these are crucial words here. We believe. This is our response, folks. We believe. Belief is always a response to something you're told. Belief and obedience are, are sometimes even equated in Scripture Belief is the appropriate response. It shows that your reaction to what you know is true. Here's the here's picture in verse 6 all the way through verse number 14. There, there are three appropriate responses to truth. Especially in this department here. That we're united with him. And when I learned this, I was taught it from the, the words of the King James Version. And these three words stand in my mind to this day. Know, K-N-O-W. Know, reckon, and yield. Those are the three words. Know, to know something. Reckon it to be true. And yield. And those are the words that you see pop up. Let me walk through them slowly here. First, the word know, in verse number six. But now we have been... Rele- oh, sorry, I'm back page. Knowing this, he says. Knowing... This, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Now, look down further in verse number 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death is no longer master over him. You see, the word knowing is starting to pop up on the page. A couple of neat little things. What we have in verse number 9 is a fact. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead. Do we know that's true? Okay. It's kind of neat here. The, the Greek word is oida. Oida means, I know absolutely positively with complete certainty. I like that little one. That is the, what we call the perfect tense. That means, I know. Alright? Now, when you back up to the previous knowing, in verse number 6, he uses the word gnosko, which is a process of learning knowing. You're learning this. You're learning this. And that's kind of neat, because when it talks about Christ, we know. But when it talks about our behavior, we're learning. And that's the difference in these knowings. We are in the learning phase right now. What are we learning? Well, we're, we're learning. We, we know that this old self was crucified with him. Now, some days we act like we don't know that. Sometimes if we try to chart that fact out, it looks like the stock market. You say, wow, well, that's the process. Some days we understand it well. Some days we don't. But that's the first thing we must know. Our old self was crucified with him. Crucifixion, I don't know if you realize this, is meant to kill. They don't just kind of crucify somebody. Oh, lot help. There's, a, there's a, a, a phrase that they once said of Abraham Lincoln. He was defending a man who was going to be hung by a, a mob. And he had to stop the mob. And he stood outside the courtroom as they came to hang this man. And he says, you know, what you guys are doing, you're going to hang this man. And, you know, a little hanging might do him some good. But what you want to do is so Permanent. You know, we talk about crucifixion like it was just a thing. It was meant to kill. That was the only end result of it, was death. That's what it was designed for. Look at this word. He used it on us. Our old self was crucified with him. Verse 6 says, our body of sin is to be done away with. And say, but pastor, I still have that old nature. Yes, you do. So do I. Right. So is there something wrong here? It's not that it disappears. It's not that it's gone, but it's been rendered useless. It's useless, folks, to you. You didn't know that, did you? Take the picture of a crucifixion again. As gruesome as that is, and sometimes Hollywood tries to give us a vivid image of that, and I don't even think they're even close yet with the horrible things we've seen. But a body is taken down from a cross, completely mangled, unsightly, and good for nothing. It's not something you want laying around the house. A crucified body. If you want a similar picture of this. You know, you've driven down the road before and you've seen that raccoon that didn't cross the road quick enough. And it's laying there in the middle of the street. And it's been hit a few times, so it's very unsightly. Sorry, just before lunch to bring this up. But you, you've got this image in your mind now. Sid, would you let your granddaughter go out and play with that? I don't think so. None of you would want your children to go out and play with such a thing, would you? If only we could see sin for what it really is. How often we go out to play with that thing? We drag it around. It's been rendered useless. It's been crucified of all things. He says, this has been done so we would no longer be slaves to sin. You see, we need to know these things. Because if we had died with Christ, and He died once for all, there wasn't a need for Him to keep on dying like He had to beat that thing to death. He accomplished it. It's over. It's been finished. His death was sufficient to kill the sin problem. And we have to start with that knowledge because sin is no longer to be your master. It shouldn't be that way. You say, okay, I, I get the idea of knowing. This is what we need to know because the second thing in verse 11, it says, now consider it true. This is the next thing we must do. Consider it. Reckon is the word in the King James Version. Consider it. That's, that's logging it in your mind. Legizomai is the Greek word here. to to count on it, to reason with it, to think it through, to, to, to see how it all adds up here. This is where learning becomes belief. It's not just what I know, but what I do with what I know. I now consider it so. Since it is true that Jesus died for my sins, since it's true that I'm united with him, then it's true that I am to be dead to sin. Reckon it to be so. Now, will that change something in your life? To say, this is the way it's supposed to be. I don't go back into the street and I play with that thing. Look, it's dead. I reckon it to be so. I walk away from that. That's not where I belong. Scripture says you're not alive to sin anymore. You're not alive to sin anymore. It's on the other side of that cross. On the other side of the cross. This side of the cross, we're alive to God. We're not supposed to be alive to sin and to God at the same time. We're not supposed to be. You understand that word, supposed to be? Because that's our frustration, isn't it? We're trying to do both. And it will never be compatible in God's scheme of things. There's no fighting left to be had. Christ has already won the victory. Do you know it? He's already won that victory. He was crucified and you with him. When do we start to reckon that it's true? When do we start to live like it's true? That we're no longer alive to sin, but we're alive to God. We have to come to this place. That, I think, is where the frustration is for most people. Oh, they know it, because they've heard it enough from the pulpit. But they don't consider it true. They don't live like it. What do you do next? Well, in verse number 12, moves on to verse number 14,
1: it has the word yield
0: here. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. That's the word Yield. It's a commitment word. It's a command, in case you're wondering. You know what commands are? Either you're doing them, or you're not. Either you're obeying, or you're not. He says, yield the members of your body to God as those who are alive. Yield. Commit to Him. You ever seen how people treat a yield sign? It's like, it doesn't matter. They they don't even think through it. They just go. I don't want you to be that way this morning. When you see the word yield here, it's not just fly on by, it's okay. Stop. Yield to him. That body he bought with a price, right? Didn't he? Therefore glorify God with your body. Scripture tells us this all the time. Because we have a relationship with Christ. Since we have died with Christ, we respond appropriately. We believe that's true. And we believe that we will also live with Him. That's what it says in verse number 8 here. We believe that we shall also live with Him. Let me ask you a series of questions that are easy to answer. Did Jesus die? Yes. Did Jesus rise again? Yes. Being united with Christ, were we crucified with him? Being united with Christ, did we rise up with him? You're getting very good at this. Is Jesus alive right now? Are you? Aha. We're not waiting for something to happen down the road, folks. We're talking about today, right now, aren't we? When are you alive? Here I am. I'm alive right now. The result of one who has died with Christ is that right now they are living for God. They're not waiting for heaven for that to be fulfilled. We believe we shall also live with him. You know, the only word in there that bothers me is the word shall. Because it's a potential and it reflects on me. Either I will or I won't. It's not about what he has done. It's about how I'm going to respond to what he has done. Either I'm going to live for him or else I'm not. But it says that we ought to. Because his death was our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. His life is our life. That's obedience. That's. Righteousness, that's sanctification, that's eternal life in Christ. Put all the things together and just put them all in one thing. We live with Him. We live with Him. This is the statement that Paul makes when somebody asked, Is it okay for us to continue to sin? Whoever asked that twice in this letter, I don't know who they were. Could it have been one of us? Is it okay if we continue to sin? So that grace abounds and all these other things. Oh, make it sound spiritual all you want. But is it okay that we continue to sin? Not when you consider what Christ has done for you. Not when you consider that you are united with Him in all these things. I make that impression upon you today because for those who are frustrated with sin... You you hear these things. You read these things. You, you go along your way and then there you are back in it again and you say, I, I don't understand this. I think you've forgotten your relationship with Christ. And that's what I'm here to remind you of. You have a relationship with Him. You've been united with Him. That sin has been dealt with at a cross. Your response is to know it and to believe it, and to yield yourself as an instrument of righteousness to God. That is your response. The result will show the fact that you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. You will know what the rest of this verse is speaking of when it says you shall also live with Him. That's where you are. These things are important to us today. And I set them before you in such a way that we must know this chapter. We must know it. In a moment, we're going to participate in a communion service. What does that remind us of? The death of Christ, right? His body broken for us, His blood that's shed for us. Do we take that seriously? Or is it just a ritual we like to do once in a while around here? Or is it a good reminder that we really need? How often he said it as he broke that bread and he that up he said this is for you this is for you this is for you